Well, folks, welcome back to another exciting episode of Growing Greener Kenai. Larry Opperman here, and I am so happy to be here on this wonderful Kenai Peninsula Saturday morning. And I hope you enjoyed last month's show. Uh, if you remember, that was actually recorded, a recorded show, uh, because I was gone. Uh, and uh, I'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But uh, one of the things I want to look at first is uh, what do we got coming up weather-wise? Uh, 43 right now, and it looks like all this week, Sunday next week, it just always says mostly cloudy with a chance of rain. Mostly cloudy with a chance of rain. It doesn't look like we're going to get any really cold, cold temperatures, maybe down into the 20s at night, uh, maybe the 30s. But uh, not too bad this time of year. And uh, we're we're winding down, folks, aren't we? We have actually wound down on our gardening season, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But I wanted to let you folks know, uh, my wife and I, we just got back from Great Britain and um, France, and we did a cruise around the British Isles, and we had a good time, and we've been gone for almost a month. We just got back... Uh, here uh, Thursday afternoon, and we are so happy to be home, and I immediately went out into my garden, and I have to tell you, I am just, I'm, I'm damn near beside myself, because I've got Brussels sprouts. You've heard me talk before about Brussels sprouts, and I don't know, maybe being gone for almost a month and ignoring them, and not worrying about it or doing anything, but I've got some Brussels sprouts. Just about the time I was ready to give it up, I've got some sprouts going and my I had told you folks before I had planted some buckwheat as a cover crop my buckwheat is doing fantastic in my raised beds and I had to take care of a few things before we left on our trip uh, mainly my potatoes because I was worried about them getting oh being too wet and uh, with all the rain, the, my vines were starting to die before I left. So like the day before we left for this trip, almost a month ago now, I pulled my potatoes. The vine, Like I said, the vines were dying. I pulled my potatoes, and I actually put them in my greenhouse. Everything has been harvested, and uh, the greenhouse was clean. I did all that before we left. But I just laid the potatoes out on top of the soil and I used some uh, uh, garden fabric and I covered them up so they've been there now almost a month they I looked at them they were just fine so now they've aged plenty well and uh, when I get uh, when I get back uh, from the show today I'm gonna get them bagged up and I'll share some with some neighbors and uh, and do that so uh, so the taters hung out okay uh, some of my leeks are still going okay. We've got a few other cold crops, some cabbage that's still hanging in out in the garden. My uh, my carrots are still uh, hanging in there. They're doing all right. I'm going to pull them here coming up pretty quick, uh, maybe today or tomorrow. And like I said, I'm just letting those Brussels sprouts go. Uh, everything I've ever read says, uh, you know, when you talk about letting some of these things go with a frost, it sweetens them up. And some of you folks, you 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 probably know this, but uh, whenever you let some of these items that are uh, frost friendly, frost tolerant rather, what happens is the sugars 
in the plant in the root goes up into the plant and one of the things it does is it has a lower freezing point than just water so that actually helps prevent the plant from freezing and dying now there's a certain point where they won't necessarily make it but in a in a frost uh, like our time of year right now that sugar water has a lower freezing point so it goes up in there it goes up into the plant to protect the plant and gives you a much sweeter plant you can get sweeter carrots you can get sweeter uh cold crops get sweeter uh leeks everything uh, that handles the cold like that uh especially those brussels sprouts so anyway i'm uh, i'm hoping to i'm hoping to get some brussels sprouts uh going here pretty soon i'm gonna let them keep going i'm not gonna i'm gonna act like that i'm not even home and looking at them i'm just <laughs> not gonna worry about it so anyway i want to tell you a little bit about the trip we took and uh, we did a cruise around the British Isles, and it also stopped in Belgium and France. And one of the things we did, we, uh, my wife and I, we don't do a lot of the excursions. But one of the things we did do is uh, when we got into, we flew into London, and we rented a car, and we went to a place called Wisley, the Wisley Gardens. And it was just a little bit south and west of London and we had to go down to Southampton to catch our cruise so we rented a car and uh, yes the steering wheel was on the opposite side as us it was a six speed so I had to shift with my left hand and we they drove on the other side of the road as us and and I tell you what it was I did okay but it was a little bit of a harrowing experience because you're so used in this country for your depth perception to be to the right you've got to switch your depth perception to the left. And my wife, uh, sitting on the left side, I think she wore a hole in the, uh, in the floorboard of the car we had, uh, pushing on a brake. And then uh, I had trouble picking up where curbs were and everything. So she'd sit over there and she'd just go, curb, curb, curb. And I'd start working my way <laughs> closer to that darn curb. And every now and then I'd hit it. I'd hit some in the street and just blah, 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 over the top of the curbs and uh, and that. So, but anyway, we did okay. So anyway, we went by this garden. It's the Royal Horticultural Society Garden at Wisley, uh, W-I-S-L-E-Y. And if you want to look this up, it is one of the premier gardens in the world. It is just a fantastic place. It's been in operation uh, for a for, uh, over a hundred years and the Royal Horticultural Society was given the Wisley property in 1903 although it had been gardened before that but it was then a uh, Royal Horticultural uh, RHS Royal Horticultural Society garden uh, in 1903 and I'll tell you it was absolutely a phenomenal garden to walk through their their uh, rose garden is I think was done in 1932. It's the same uh, same rose garden from 1932. The they had a they had a uh, uh, gardens. They had food plots, test plots. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, they had uh, uh, vineyards, fruit trees, anything and everything. It was absolutely a fantastic, fantastic spot to go to the queen had been there before uh 
I think if I remember King Edward the seventh, he opened it uh, back around the turn of the century, 1900. And it was absolutely a wonderful, wonderful garden. And I learned about this place. You folks know uh, my friend David Regal, who's done the show with me a couple times. And David's on the board of directors of the Central Peninsula Garden Club. And David, for a while, lived in the London area. And he knew about this place. He's been there many times. And he told us about it. And I'll tell you, we were so happy to go there. It was, uh, was actually very much worth worth the stop to go there and it was just it's a it's not monstrous but it's like 60 acres and uh, it is developed uh, they've got great uh, greenhouses uh, you know some of the some of the garden highlights there are the uh, uh, the greenhouses the uh, oh the they've got a uh, hilltop building it's a home of gardening science uh it's a place where uh, younger folks and older folks go to study horticulture it's got a, a wonderful building uh, a great glass house uh, rock gardens uh conifers uh, uh an arboretum you name it it's it's hard uh, uh, there's even a bonsai walk with all these just gorgeous bonsai trees uh trials garden they have a trials garden too where they do a lot of uh, testing of plants but it is just if you ever get over there it's worth a stop to go through wisley and uh, we had a we had a great time there just a wonderful time and like i said i would recommend i would recommend it to anyone who gets there and if we ever get back there i'll go to wisley again uh a lot of walking around, but it's worth the walk. It's worth the walk. And we did get a little bit tired one time, and they had a little shuttle that went around. We jumped on the shuttle and got a little bit of a ride. And one of the things that was neat on one of their newer buildings was they had some hops growing. And I swear these hops plants must have been 15 to 20 feet tall growing up the side of the building. Absolutely gorgeous. I'd love to get hops to grow up here. And... Uh, it was, uh, but it was quite the experience. That's Wisley, W-I-S-L-E-Y Garden from the Royal Horticultural Society. If you want to look them up online, it is, uh, it's worth a read, very much worth a read. So then, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our thing with our, with our crews and we're going here and there and, and, uh, oh, we, we went to, uh, Portland, England, uh, they went over to, uh, Ireland, Cork, and Belfast, Glasgow, uh, uh, Inverness, went to Loch Ness, didn't see a Loch Ness monster. But one of the things we did too was in Belfast, we went to their botanic gardens. And uh, it is, uh, it's another one of those fantastic gardens to go to. It's in the city, it's free, it's only 28 acres. But what is really neat about it, they, the gardens opened in 1828, and at the time it was private. It was the Royal Belfast Botanical Gardens, and it was a private garden. Uh, and it continued as a private park for a lot of years. And then in, uh, gosh, like 70 years later almost, uh, it was only open to members of the public on Sundays uh, prior to 1895. And then in 1895, it became uh, a public, public uh, gardens, and everyone can go in. But but one of the neater things is, it's got this conservatory. It's called the Palm House, 
And the Palm House is this gigantic greenhouse, and it was built in 1839 and 1840, one of the earliest examples of what's called a cast iron glass house. And the frame is all cast iron, it's all glass, and it is absolutely phenomenal absolutely phenomenal they've got it's got a couple of wings it's got uh, what's called the cool wing and the tropical wing and one of the things that was really weird is i got some pictures of my wife standing in front of one of the doors that go into one of the wings and the and the door handle uh with the regular knob door handle you turn it and it's down around your knees it literally is at your knees and then it's it's so the perception is you're going to turn and you think you're going to have this really light weight door. And I'll tell you what, it just weighed, weighed a ton. I had told my, I said, hun, push on this door. And it's, it's, uh, it kind of surprised you that it's so heavy, but it's cast iron uh, and it's all uh, small windows. Uh, but it's just uh, same way. The, if you want to look at it, the botanic gardens in Belfast with the Palm house, and the flower beds out in front of it are just amazing. And one of the thing that's neat there is they have uh, the the designer originally they they made the center part of it taller uh, so they could get some taller plants in there. And one of the neat things they've got in there, they've got an 11 meter tall plant called the globe spear lily, and the li- that lily it's native to Australia. And it finally bloomed. It's been a little while back, but it bloomed in March 2005 after a 23-year wait. 23-year wait, and this thing finally bloomed. And then they had, I had to look this one up, the Palm House also, and we saw this features a 400-year-old. It's called uh, Xanthorea, and it's basically like a grass tree, and it is... 400 years old uh it's just it's just amazing it's just amazing these things but yeah if uh, same way if you're ever in belfast it is more than worth the stop and they've got some other greenhouses and anything in the in the uh, garden too is a statue of the physicist uh lord kelvin and if uh, not to not to belabor some old High school and college chemistry, if you remember Kelvin, the Kelvin scale, absolute zero, and theoretically all molecular atomic movement stops. He was born in Belfast, and uh, so that uh, that history. But it's a it's a fantastic place. There again, it's worth a stop. It's worth just looking it up and reading about it. But the Palm House was absolutely. Uh, it was almost mesmerizing looking at it. You just about couldn't look away. I took a bunch of pictures of it, and they're all the same picture. You know how it is. Something can be so overwhelming. You're just taking picture after picture after picture. So anyway, that was a great. Uh, that was great. Uh, we didn't. Uh, the only other garden we really went to, uh, we were in La Havre, France. Uh, one of the one of the stops, and uh, they had a really pretty nice city garden that was just out there and uh, just planted just a just a very nice garden in the in the town of La Havre and uh, and that was really that was really pretty neat but the folks over there they're they're serious about their gardening 
And uh, if you want to learn a few other things about gardening, even though uh, we live in a special, actually a very special climate up here, uh, if you go to the Royal Horticultural Society, their website, uh, it's really neat. Uh, there's a lot of things to learn uh, just going to their website. And uh, it's, a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great website, too. Uh, like I said, even though they're a different zone than us, they grow different things the way than we do, it's still worth looking at the Royal Horticultural Society website uh, for learning. So what's been going on in Alaska? Like I said, we've been gone for almost a month. I uh, haven't really talked much sub to friends about uh, if it's been raining very much or everything. Like I said, I harvested my potatoes because I was worried about leaving them in their containers with the with the vines starting to die before we left. And I thought about just leaving them in there and covering them with a tarp. Uh, to keep the rain out so they didn't rot in there. But I chickened out on that, as I told you. They're in my greenhouse. I'll get them bagged up either today or tomorrow. And uh, and then still doing a little uh, gardening cleanup work. You know, the uh, I'm, I haven't decided yet. I think I'm going to leave my, uh, I think I'm going to leave my buckwheat on the top, not till it in, not turn it under, and just let it grow until uh, we get a freeze and the snow gets on top of it that'll press it down in there and then in the spring i think i'll turn it in uh that's uh, that seems to be uh, i've done it both ways before and it really really kind of hard to tell uh, i can't tell the difference in uh, turning it in in the spring or turning it in uh in the fall uh, just I, I haven't been able to tell a difference in that so anyway i think i'm just going to i think i'm just going to let it keep going and uh, and go that route and uh, i did get a little cleanup work done before we left on our trip like i said we've been gone uh, just a, we were only we were gone like only four or five days shy of 30 days so i had to get uh, i had to get some things done uh, that i didn't i didn't want to worry about about losing some items and one of the things uh, that i did too was like i said i Cleared out a lot of my beds where the where the broccoli, the cauliflower. I still got some cabbage going, but I primarily wanted to get that buckwheat going so they grow, and it's doing fantastic. It's doing absolutely fantastic. So anyway, it's uh, it's time to start winterizing. Uh, I think uh, a lot of you folks ought to still have some things going. I'll tell you what, I still had a bunch of lettuce going. Uh, we're still sitting here. I think we can harvest lettuce still. Uh, uh, and, and the one thing I didn't check that we still had growing out there is some of my beets. I think my beets are okay. Uh, I'll check them off this afternoon whenever I get home and, uh, hope, hope that I haven't lost you. There's some critter hadn't gotten there and eaten them, but the beets looked like they were doing okay. And, uh, and hopefully I'll have a harvest of beets later on this afternoon, but we've been so tired. I, I went out there, but I just haven't had time or, or had the gumption to uh, do any work yet since we've been home like I said we didn't get home till uh, Thursday afternoon and we are still in recuperation mode with the time change and everything so one of the things too that I had talked about before that I hope everyone is do doing right now with their garden and that's mulching mulch your flower beds and I did that before we left and I got a good oh four to six inches of shredded bark tree 
mulch from uh, from one of the the tree companies. They like I told you before, they will if you get on their list and they've got a truck full of uh, ground up mulch, bark and limbs and stuff. They'll drop it off at your house if they're close to you, but you got to get it on their list. So I've gotten a couple, I've gotten a couple loads from them over the years, and that's what I use to put on my flower beds. So I put a good four to six inches over all my flower beds, uh, over my uh, peonies and uh, everything. Like I said, I got all this done before we left for the trip because I wasn't sure what the weather was going to be for one thing uh, by the time we got back. But, you know, it's actually more important uh, to mulch your plants now than in uh, the spring or the early summer. Uh, it's not all that much for looks, but there's a benefit to that. If you, it, it might seem a little bit out of the ordinary, uh, and a lot of homeowners, they get, they kind of put their garden to bed and they don't really think about doing much. But fall mulching uh, is a great thing to do for your plants because a fall layer of mulch, it can play a great role in health and maintenance of your, of your perennial beds. And uh, what it does is, now for us, it doesn't matter that as much, but it does put a protective coat of mulch over the plants. And one of the things it does too is it helps prevent weeds in the spring you get fewer weeds healthier plants bigger blooms and a lot less work so take that mulch and get it in your garden and you can mulch with a lot of different things if you if you've got your your leaves that you've been working on a compost uh, you can you can mulch with it you can buy mulch if you want to you can use your leaves. Uh, the thing I the thing I don't like about just leaves is, depending on where your where your garden beds are, your flower beds is they get snow on them and just packs them down. It just packs them down, and I don't I don't really like that. That's why I like to use the wood chips uh, from the from the wood chipper. So, but as your plants begin to die back, you get larger areas of soil uh, becomes exposed, and with nothing over that, any wind or weeds, the, the seeds are out there. Uh, that bare soil is a haven for weed seeds to blow in. And they find a real nice little place to overwinter. And then when spring arrives, here come the weeds. So that's another. And, and all your perennials, your, your crocus, your tulips, all those perennials that have come, jonquils, they're going to come right up through that mulch. So that's that's going to be okay now some of our gardeners you know uh, and i mentioned bobby all the time bobby jackson she doesn't mess with that too much she just uses the uh, tipar the black fabric and she puts the the holes in the fabric in that strategic location where the plant's going to come up uh, because she doesn't like mulching too much because if you don't take care of that the weeds eventually can take a hold in that mulch and they'll grow in there. So that's one of the reasons she doesn't do that. But she's got a huge place she's trying to take care of. 
most folks at home, I think you can uh, you can pretty much take care of this with some mulch. And I've still got a, a pretty good pile of mulch left. But I'll tell you what, this spring I will be calling the wood chipper guys, the tree the tree clearing guys, and trying to get another load of that. And uh, it it uh, it kind of semi composts. It's it's good stuff. It's it's actually great stuff for your garden. So so anyway. Uh, you you protect those plants, and the best way to do it is a mix of mulch. Uh, there can be leaves in with it, uh, and it also helps, even though we <laughs> certainly haven't had trouble this year, it helps to retain moisture in the soil. Uh, even when our perennials, when they go dormant, the roots still need a little moisture to survive, and they're trying to survive those dark months of winter up here. So the key is when to mulch. Like I said, I've got mine done already. And uh, mulch too late and the weeds and the weed seeds can already be taken hold by the time you cover the soil. Oh, late autumn. Like I said, I, I did it now. I think that's uh, more of an experiment based on your experience with your particular garden. And I think that uh, that's one of the things to look at. Only you know your garden the best. And like I said, I did mine because we were going to be gone and uh, and that. So, But one of the biggest mistakes gardeners make uh, in the fall is to disturb their existing mulch. Uh, a lot of gardeners like to rake or turn over the existing mulch they've already got in place. And what that does, it may freshen up the look of the beds, but it also creates some issues for for uh, for for instance raking or turning the existing mulch while it'll look night nice it'll also create more weeds because you have let those weed seeds come up on the top and you've given them a place to get light moisture and now they're ready to germinate in the spring so that's one of the things I don't do. And I, and I learned that the hard way, too. I, I don't do that because it's... And then I finally read it a little bit more about it. So I don't touch my mulch. I let that thing mulch, and then next spring, it'll, it'll go back into the soil a little bit, and it'll, you can put more mulch on it the next year, you know. So, but a good rule of thumb for, uh, for your mulch... Uh, on these beds like this it's a uh, four to six inches of mulch and that's what i did uh, i probably got a good good four to six inches of mulch and i uh, you know i'm lucky i've got my i've you folks have heard me say before i've got my tractor with a bucket on it, so i could just dump my mulch in there and i did have to use my rake to kind of spread it out a little bit and uh and that so and then another thing is uh like i said select uh, select the right mulch now up here it's not as big a deal, uh, but other places in the lower 48, they got to be careful sometimes what kind of mulch they use. Uh, just just because certain certain trees, we don't have the problem they have down south. So for us, I've never had any trouble with the stuff I get from the the. Uh, uh, I get my stuff from Carlos's Tree Service, and they'll come by and dump that. They're doing spruce and aspen and birch they're just cutting everything down uh, that they need to and uh, in in an area so i've put that on there i've never really had any trouble with that that seems to work pretty good for me 
So uh, be sure to be sure to mulch, folks. Uh, it uh, might save you some might save you some headaches in the future, and uh, make your life a little bit easier. Now, one of the other things that that I hope everyone has done, uh, we talked about uh, last show that I had recorded, is getting your garlic in the ground. Now, I will have to tell you, I didn't get mine in the ground, but that's happening this afternoon or tomorrow for sure. I uh, really would have liked to have had it in the ground by now, but I will, uh, there again, as I said before, I don't want to repeat too much, but I'll take my garlic cloves. I will soak them for about 10 or 15 minutes in vodka, and I've got a special bottle of vodka that I wrote on it. Do not drink. It's just for soaking garlic in each year to sterilize them a little bit. And then I do the soak with a little bit of baking soda, some fish emulsion, and mix in water, and you put them in there for maybe half an hour, and that lets that plant start to absorb. And uh, and those guys at King Garlic, they even say you can leave them soak overnight. So if you don't get to it, they'll do okay. So I told my, I got a cousin back in Illinois that we visited on the trip, and uh, he never heard of soaking. So I showed him, uh, I showed him the King Garlic site, and he tried it this year. So he said, I soaked. He sent me a text after we got home, showed me his garlic he had planted. He said, I did just like these directions say, so we'll see how he does this year and uh, how his garlic goes. And then he gave me a bunch of his garlic that I brought with me. He likes to grow music, and uh, so I've got a bunch of his garlic I'm going to try planting this year and see how it does. Uh, this will be Illinois garlic. And we'll see how that does this year. But that's that's going to happen. If not this afternoon, it's happening tomorrow for sure to get my garlic in the ground. So what else we got going on in the garden? I'm assuming that most people you have uh, collected pretty much everything uh, from your garden, uh, except, except for some of the cold crops, some leeks, uh, your Brussels sprouts. Uh, maybe you still got some lettuce going. Maybe you still got some carrots going and all that stuff. So... So hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody's doing okay. It was a tough year, wasn't it, folks? It was a very, very tough year. While we had it wet and cold up here, uh, people in the lower 48 had it really hot and dry. So everybody had a little bit of trouble this year. So uh, just, uh, just a different point of view on what it was that we had going on. Okay, well, in in your gardens, I'm assuming I'm assuming some folks, like I said, you're pretty much finished. Uh, I don't know if anybody uh, does anybody have a bunch of green tomatoes that you're trying to ripen. Uh, you know, uh, mine are mine are all done. I mean, like I said, we took care of all that before we left, and uh, you know, tomatoes. Uh, we all have put them on the the kitchen counter on the kitchen windowsill uh, one of the things you can do with them is ripen them off the vine i've actually taken plants before and uh, with the tomatoes on them and pulled the plant and taken them into my garage and hung them upside down and let them let them uh, ripen hanging off the vine uh, but that's a that's a little bit messy and you don't really have to worry about that uh, but, you know, you can put them, uh, if they haven't really started to turn yet, you can put them in a paper bag with a banana, and the banana will give off the ethylene oxide, and that'll get them going. Now, that's one of the things that's really kind of weird is, you know, whenever you buy tomatoes, I've mentioned this before, you buy tomatoes at the grocery store, and they're red, but they're hard as a rock. Well, 
I don't know if they still do it, but one of the things they used to do for years, and uh, uh, my mom's boyfriend, he used to drive a semi-tractor trailer rig, and he did this, he told me. Uh, they'll have a whole tractor trailer rig full of green tomatoes, and they pipe in a bunch of ethylene oxide into those cars, into that trailer, and that ethylene oxide turns the tomatoes red, but it doesn't ripen them. It doesn't really ripen them. It just turns a green tomato red. Now, that's what I've always thought about where when you read the direction or you read the recommendation to put a tomato in a paper bag with a banana because, but, but that's, I think that's a little different. These are tomatoes that are actually you've picked from your vine. They're starting to ripen. The ethylene oxide just gets them going a little bit. Now, one of the things we did one year we were RVing around the lower 48 after the garden season. I picked every tomato we had, and I had a cardboard box, and I crumpled up some newspaper in the bottom, and I laid a layer of, of uh, tomatoes, another layer of crumpled newspaper, a layer of tomatoes, and I did probably about four or five layers, and we would check the box every, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, about every two to three days. And I'll tell you what, we had ripe tomatoes in there and that's what we did with the whole thing and for a long time we had ripe tomatoes and there again like i said you can just let them sit on your windowsill at home uh, they actually up here uh, the weather's you typically cool enough and uh, they don't it, it doesn't hurt them or anything uh, and one of the ways you can do it too is you put them on a simply put them on a little baking rack to let air get around all of them and they'll ripen. You know what you know what it's like, folks. Uh, you look one day, and all of a sudden, you've got a ripe tomato. So, uh, so hopefully, everybody's doing that if they haven't done it already. Now, one of the things I want to let you folks know that's coming up actually is uh, you know how I'm always talking about the University of Alaska Extension Center. Well, they got so much great information on there, and. I can't really give it to you over the, the airwaves here, but if you go to uaf.edu news and institute director, uh, there is a session going to be on Alaska agriculture on, let's see, what was that date? October 17th through the lunch hour. It's called Circumpolar Food Security. Alaska isn't outstanding alone in our field. And the talk's going to focus on how Alaskans can work together toward a more robust food system. I'm reading this from the site based on uh, 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 oh, what's, uh, Jody. Jody Anderson is the person going to do it. And it's based on her observations from the Circumpolar Agricultural Conference that she went to in the Faroe Islands in September. And, you know, she uh, she's going to be talking about this uh, concerns about climate change, loss of farmland, farmers getting older, the high cost of input for beginning and established farmers and a decreased interest in agriculture. So this is going to be, like I said, on October 17th. Uh, and it's going to be uh, at the Usability, excuse me, the Usability building on the Fairbanks campus. But you can join via zoom so what you can do to find out about this like i said is go to the uaf i'm gonna i'm gonna see what i can I'm put that on my calendar and see if i can't hook up to this and watch this uh, but go to the uaf edu site and it will it should be right on the 
Yeah, it's right on their homepage, the second item down, Institute Director to host session on Alaska Agriculture. Click on that, and down kind of at the bottom of the page, there is a link where it says register in advance to join virtually via Zoom. You can also uh, make contact with a young lady named Julie Stricker at 907-474-5406 or jestricker2 at alaska.edu. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to try and do that one. But it's October 17th uh, during the lunch break. And register in advance. Like I said, I doubt anybody is going to want to go up to Fairbanks to go to this. But uh, I'm going to join virtually via Zoom. And that will be, I think that will be an excellent, excellent program to sit and listen to Jody and see what she's got to say about uh, Alaska agriculture. So, you know, I like to talk about everything that the uh, Extension Center has to offer for us. And one of the one of the neat things, too, I think uh, this is a good time of year to do it. And that's to think about doing your soil samples now or coming up in the fall. Uh, so you're ready to know what you need to amend your soil with next year. You know, some gardeners, they, they wait and they send their soil sample in in April. And the soil labs, the one in Ohio, the soil labs, they just get inundated with samples, people wait until the last minute. So one of the things to do is uh, do, uh, do your soil samples now, get them in to the lab, and you've got no rush at all. No rush at all. You even if you get those you get those results back in January or February, you've gotten them in plenty of time to not worry about rushing. You got plenty of time then to be ready on how you want to amend your soil for the next year. So, uh, one of the things that uh, UAF has uh, their the extension service. There's a great great publication called Managing Alaska Soils and it's uh, the topic is uh, essential soil science topics for the commercial and backyard crop producer. So they talk about everything. They talk about the soil horizons, the soil components, mineral soils, uh, air, water, the pores in there, the soil texture, uh, what type of soil you have. Uh, peaty soil, loamy soil, and they will help you. This is a this is a wonderful, wonderful publication put on by the uh, put out by the Extension Service, and it is well worth going to their website and bringing it up and reading it. And one of the things we're you know it's it's hard to believe we're in October already, and I don't know about you, but I am already starting to think about what worked for me and what didn't work for me this year and am i going to be making some changes for next year and you know i'm not i'm not too sure one of the things that this is like i said this was a tough year and one of the things that surprised me uh, i told you i've got some leaks going but my leaks didn't do near as well this year and they're kind of a cool weather crop so i got to figure out uh, what the deal is, was, uh, something missing in, in uh, my soil where I planted them. Uh, you know, I, I, I typically plant them in the same location every year, and it might have just been a crop rotation issue. 
uh, I did an experiment and uh, did some of them in my greenhouse. Well, they, the ones in the greenhouse, they didn't like it very well because it got too hot for them. Uh, they grew, but they got no size to them. And I'll tell you what, I've got a picture uh, at, uh, on our trip. We went to, to several of the uh, markets in uh, the cities. We went to the Cork Market. We went to this great market in Belfast. We went, the, the market in Cork's been going on uh, continuously in the same location since the late 1700s. And I'll tell you what, some of these gardeners, farmers there, had their booths set up selling their produce. And I'm telling you what, they had leeks. They were selling leeks. Oh my gosh! It was. Uh, they were as big around, damn near, as like an aerosol can, a hairspray can. They were absolutely huge, and uh, some of the biggest leeks I've ever seen in my life. And so you know that uh, that that interested me on uh, why my leeks didn't do very well this year. So it's one of the things I'm going to do a little research on, and. Uh, and, and part of that research is going to be getting a soil sample early and see, was it something I did? Was it the weather? Was it my soil? Was it I didn't crop rotate and I'm growing them in the same place? You know, but a lot of people, a lot of farms, they, they plant the same thing on their soil year after year. So I got I to gotta work on that one a little bit. Uh, got to work on that and see what happened with the leaks. Cabbages did okay, although the slugs were horrible this year, weren't they, folks? Oh, my gosh. And, and I'll tell you what I got a, a really wonderful harvest of this year was our hascap berries. Oh, my gosh. We had hascaps. Uh, some of the, the neighbor kids came down and helped. Uh, they picked some hascaps, let them take a bunch of them home. But, wow, we got, a, we got enough. Uh, we didn't have time before we went on our trip, but we've got them in the freezer, and they'll be perfect. We'll be uh, making some jelly here pretty soon with those and getting them going. So anyway, if, if any of you folks are new to Alaska gardening and, you know, you want to know, uh, if you want to think next year, if you're new to Alaska, if you're new to Alaska gardening, I want to tell you the, another great Extension Service publication. It's, uh, it's 20 pages long, but it has got every bit of info you need in it. It's called 16 Easy Steps to Gardening in Alaska. And one of the first things you do is plan the garden so you folks uh you know uh, find out what you want to do uh, like i said if you've got a little raised bed garden now one time uh, where i lived in an apartment and some of you folks have uh, i'm sure you've seen this before but i just did the trick of taking a bag of potting soil from whatever you know from the big box store you lay it down flat and you cut a little x in it and you plant your plant right in that with the bag laying on a balcony. And you can grow a pepper. Well, in here in Alaska, it's a little bit tougher to do. But you can grow plants right in that bag laying down flat. Uh, pretty much whatever you want to grow in there. And if you, wanna, if you need to have a little bit bigger air where you want to grow some radishes or anything, just poke a little hole in there, uh, make some little holes, and drop a seed in there. And you can grow radishes in a bag laid on its side you know there's a lot of things to do to garden but anyway this this year uh there's uh, i think a lot of us we we learned some things this year as far as the weather and it's uh it's all we can do is i think hope that next year we've got a little bit 
better season for gardening. Not to say we didn't have a good year this year, but a tougher year and maybe a few less less items. Like so we've got we got pretty good broccoli. Uh we didn't get uh our cauliflower didn't do worth a hoot. We got a little bit, but it didn't do much or anything. We got some cabbage. Uh lettuce always does well. Uh, my green beans I still can't figure out in my greenhouse. My green beans I did a runner bean and I had them on a trellis. They grew up, they grew all over the place. They absolutely did not flower. I didn't get a single green bean off my runner beans. I can't figure that one out, so I'm definitely going to have to do a check of the soil. I had uh, I had uh, fans going. I leave doors open for bugs to get in there and maybe do a little, little pollinating themselves. Now, my bush beans didn't do too bad in the greenhouse. We got some uh, good bush beans off there. But I put out of the way uh, where they'd be growing right up against the wall. Man, my runner beans, I was so disappointed in those because I thought I was just going to get a, And they had, I had literally 100% germination of those. Not a single bloom, not a single, single green bean off those plants. So I got to figure that one out. That is for sure. My corn didn't do too bad, but the ears didn't get very long. Uh, six to eight inches was the longest ear. Some of them are really sweet. Some of them, oh, are a little bit bland and starchy. Uh, but, you know, a little bit of butter and salt to help take care of that. So, uh, but the corn didn't do too bad. Uh, my tomatoes only did mediocre this year. Uh, nothing nothing spectacular, nothing to write home about. Uh I, I've still got onions going in the greenhouse that uh, they're doing okay so far, and I'll uh, I'll probably harvest those here pretty quick. Uh, but everything outside, like I said, the biggest things I'll be getting uh, I'll be getting my carrots, and and that's about all that's left. And as as I said too, I will for sure be getting my garlic in the ground, if not today, tomorrow for sure, because uh, it's it's time. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit late on my garlic this year and I've I should have gone ahead and planted it before we before we left because you know that's one of the things that garlic garlic can do is they can grow even if you plant them a little bit too early in the fall and you see the little green sprouts coming up through the ground that's not going to hurt anything they'll still uh when the cold weather hits they'll still go dormant and they will continue to grow in the spring and uh and that so don't don't worry about that if that's what happened to your garlic i, I still do recommend really putting a good mulch over your garlic though and in fact what i do i've, I've told you before is i i get my uh, garlic in the ground and then i put a bunch of straw on top of it thick straw and then i put a sheet of plastic over the top of that straw and that's mainly just to keep you know it's it's wet under there anyway and that's mainly just to keep the snow from melting and going down and, and literally freezing down around my garlic and it seems to work i've done that every year it seems to work for me uh, but it may or may not work for you but that's what i like to do and so far it's worked to me and uh, and then uh, in the spring, uh, after we get some warm weather, I get out there, I take that plastic sheet off and pull out that straw, and there's garlic popping up right in that straw. So so uh, that's always tickle see. So so uh, but but you know that's what's really weird, folks. It's early October. We got October, November, December, January, February, March, 
April. We've got six and a half to seven months of non-gardening. And, uh, but it's a time to remember what worked for you. It's a time to remember what didn't work for you. Make you some notes. I'm already looking forward to, I, I can't wait to get seed catalogs. And that is one thing I told you folks that I, my experience, and maybe that's what my problem was this year. My experiment was not to buy new seed. I used seed that I had. Well, my garden wasn't very good this year. And if you remember when I had Joe Lample on the show, I told him that. And he said he buys new seed every year. And the only seed that I did buy was those dang runner beans i didn't have runner bean seeds so those were the only seeds i bought new and they didn't do a darn thing so anyway that's going to be one of the things i really uh am looking forward to this winter is uh really choosing what i want i'm going to even try to go with a little bit more proven uh cold weather seed and there again i want to i want to bring to your attention for you folks that don't have it that uh Gardening from Seed in Arctic and Subarctic Areas by Reggie Yappel, the horticulturist. And you can get these this book at uh, Denali Seed Company, uh, DenaliSeed.com or BestCoolSeeds.com. And uh, it's uh, plants that have been tested in Alaska, uh, that grow in Alaska, tell you if you need to put them in a greenhouse or outdoor flowers, uh, seed planting depth, the works. Uh, I'm going to be reviewing this a little bit more this next year and uh, try to go with a few more plants that are truly bred for cold weather. And, uh, and we'll, see, we'll see what happens there. I, I, I will experiment with a few things, but, uh, but uh, you know, that's the, the only thing I can really think about maybe my garden didn't do so well is I used old seed. Should that make a difference? You wouldn't think so. Uh, you know, when a, when a seed germinates, a seed germinates, you know, and uh, one, of, one of the guys I like to watch, uh, some of you folks too know uh, who Luke uh, at MI Gardener is. Well, a number of years back, he found a picture frame that had some old, uh, it was in a flea market or something, it had some old tomato seeds in it. Well, the packets, you know, for a, for a, just a wall, to, a, a picture design for the wall for gardening. Well, one of these seed packets of old heritage tomatoes had seeds in them. Well, he took those seeds out, and I think he only had, oh, I don't even think he had a 2 or 3% germination success. But he did get some germination. He cultivated these plants. These were 100-plus-year-old tomatoes, 100-year-old tomato seeds and a, and a tomato plants nobody produced anymore he got those a few of them to germinate he cultivated them he grew them up he got more tomatoes more seeds and now he's selling these seeds for this particular i can't think of the name of the heirloom variety now but he is selling those now with almost 100 year old seeds which is pretty incredible and for some of you folks that uh, like history at all, you know, gosh, I guess they've found seeds in the deserts of the Middle East that are estimated 5,000 years old, and some of them still sprout. That's pretty amazing to me. So anyway, uh, was that what caused my garden uh, to not really do well using old seed? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, 
this next year, all those old seeds are going in the trash and I'm going to start off with all brand new seeds. So anyway, uh, we're looking forward. We're looking forward to, uh, starting to plan and think about next year already. And like I said, one of the best places for you folks to do that is to come to the Central Peninsula Garden Club meetings. We're on the third Saturday of the month now in the afternoon at Kenai Peninsula College. Uh, the last, I, I wasn't here for the last one we had left, but from what I understand, it was a wonderful show. David uh, Regal, like I said, who's been on the show with me before, David is a retired landscape architect, and he, from what I heard, he did a wonderful job, and everybody loved his loved his program. He used to design gardens, uh, design landscaping for big buildings, for how, everything. David, uh, David was good. So anyway, Kenai Peninsula College, third Saturday of the month, uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. I'll have to double-check that time. But uh, here in a, the uh, program will be in a couple of weeks. Watch uh, the Central Peninsula Garden Club Facebook page. The date and time will be on there. We look forward to having everybody there. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting to this this next one, uh, the first one at uh, that I'll be attending at, at uh, KPC. And hopefully you'll be there too. But that's one of the best places too to learn and talk to experienced gardeners in the state of Alaska, in our in our area rather, on the on the uh, Central Peninsula to learn about your gardening. And the last thing I want to bring up is it's coming up on Halloween, and uh, one of the things you can do uh, we've got uh, it's time to start getting the pumpkins out. It's time to uh, start decorating for Halloween. It's if you've saved any of your corn stalks, you can do some great, uh, uh, great displays on your on your porch, and uh, take care of your pumpkins. You know, there's uh, the biggest pest we got for pumpkins is a moose coming along and chunking the top of your pumpkin out on your porch that you've either uh, just have out there for uh, for display or for carving. The kids like to carve them and. Uh, and we'll uh, and we'll do that. Holy smokes, folks! Well, you know what that Beatles Octopus's Garden means. It means we're down to about the last two minutes of the show. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening again today. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about in upcoming shows too is uh, next month we're going to be in Thanksgiving, and then we're getting into December and. I'm really going to do my best this year to find some really great gardening gifts to give uh, the gardener in your life for Christmas. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to really do some research and see what were some of the best things to give uh, the, the gardener in your in your family in your life or for yourself. You know, so uh, so I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to that. And oh not a whole lot else going on right now, folks. Uh, clean your garden up. It's time to, uh, the winter time's the time to take care of your, your, uh, your tools, sharpen them whenever you don't need them, and uh, get, get out there. And uh, uh, I'm going to try and do a little bit better job of keeping my stuff in order this year instead of waiting until the last minute. I wasn't very good about it last year. So anyway, thanks again for listening. Uh, I'll be back a month from now the first saturday in november we'll talk about uh, some of our thanksgiving stuff we'll talk about presents coming up uh, gardening gifts and everything so 
Thanks again uh, for listening uh, to Growing a Greener Kenai with me, Larry Opperman. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL, 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll close out with just a little bit of Octopus's Garden. Enjoy and thank you.